How secure is your faith in the good news of Jesus? Think about this. How secure is it? How secure is your understanding of what you've received because you of what you know about who Jesus is? Or maybe you're here exploring Jesus. Maybe you're here just in the room and you're here today because you're exploring who Jesus is and you want to know um, what makes Jesus, who he is and what he's done, such good news. Maybe you're wanting to know why we think it's such good news. Um, and maybe for you, as you're exploring, maybe you've been confused about this. Or maybe you know someone who's been confused about the good news of Jesus. Um, and maybe they've been confused because those of us who say we follow Jesus and ha- say we know Jesus, we haven't given a clear answer to this question, what is the good news of Jesus and what's so good about it? Because we're uncertain of it. And so how secure is our faith if we're uncertain of what we know? See, if we don't know what we've received through Jesus, and if we don't know how to communicate what we believe, how secure is that faith? You know, is this the reason that so many Christians and maybe friends of yours, or maybe you are one of these, who are leaving or so quote unquote leaving this faith? Or leaving the Christian faith? Is it because they don't know what their faith is in or what faith is all about? Or have they forgotten, or maybe you've forgotten, what the gospel of Jesus means? The good news of Jesus for you? Have the worries of life, have, have the worries of life distracted you? Or like it's distracted so many of us from the truth of the good news of what we have received in Christ Jesus? Or have we allowed the circumstances of life to overwhelm us so much that we've lost hope in what we have in Jesus? For our faith, for your faith, to be unshakable, you must know the good news you receive through Jesus. For your faith to be unshakable, you need to have a clear understanding because when you know what you've received through Christ Jesus and believe it because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you will be unshakable. Because in Christ we're learning we are unshakable. And this is the journey we're learning and we're experiencing to understand as a church and we want the world to know that this is good news for all of us. And there are three things that we that are central to the good news of what we receive through Christ Jesus. And those three things are good news for you and it's good news for the world. And more on that in a moment. My name is Casey. And for those of you who are new with us today, we are so grateful to share this time together with you. Uh, before we leave today and before you leave today, would you uh, just do us a favor? We'd love to give you a gift today. And if you'll make your way across the lobby into that uh, welcome center over there, uh, we'd, uh, across the lobby, it's a room called the welcome center. A host will be there. They'd love to share with you four things in less than four minutes about who we are as a church family. And we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Also, if you're new with us online, our hosts are posting a link to a connect card. If you'll fill that link out, that form, that's on that link, we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. 
Now, Westside, would you help me let everyone that's watching online and everyone who's new in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that? Yeah. Jesus had one message. It was a message of good news. We call it the gospel. In the Greek language, it was written as this, the evangelion. And and this is where we get the word evangel. And this is why we call it evangelism. It's because it's the good news. Jesus, his gospel centered around one thing. His his gospel centered around one thing. It was the kingdom of God. Of God, All four Gospels describe this as the one theme of the Gospel of Jesus. The good news message was about the kingdom of God. And Luke, the first century author who carefully investigated the accounts of Jesus and what, this, what Jesus taught and what he lived and what it was all about, this is what he would record of Jesus saying his message was about. He, Jesus would say in Luke chapter 4, he would say, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. And look at this right here because this is important. Because that is why I was sent. To proclaim the good news. That term, proclaim the good news, in the Greek language is really one uh, word. It's one helizo. And that's where we get evangelistic. It's to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To be evangelical is to be a proclaimer of good news. And we must understand Jesus' purpose so we understand Jesus' message. You will never understand Jesus' message unless you understand his purpose. His purpose, he came into this world to declare the good news of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God was good news. And Jesus came to establish this kingdom. He came to establish God's kingdom by defeating sin. He established God's kingdom by overcoming death and becoming victorious over Satan through his perfect life, through his suffering, and through his death and his resurrection. Jesus was therefore creating out of this a new humanity by inviting people to believe in him, trusting in his work. And whoever would trust in Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord, Jesus would freely give this inheritance of the kingdom of God. This is the good news that Jesus wants you to receive. This is the good news that Jesus came for the world to receive. That all who would receive this would experience the life of the kingdom of God. But skepticism rises up in many of us. I mean, after all, with truth, there comes doubt, right? I mean, this is the way our world operates and the way that we've, we, our humanity is. And, and we've been fooled so many times by what we thought was good news. I mean, we've been, that's why we're so skeptical of this. We've been fooled and deceived so many times by false promises or even fake news that good news That time didn't turn out so good for you. So why should we trust this good news? And how secure then is this good news that Jesus says he has for the world? How secure is this promise of God's kingdom? Well, the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews lets you know how secure this promise is and how good and how secure this good news is. 
he writes this, then Hebrews 12, verse 28. It says, therefore, the kingdom of God is not a... Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. So what's the kingdom of God? This is how secure it is. It can't be shaken. It is so secure. Let us then be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Now, this is a meaningful verse for our church family, especially in this season as we are in this unshakable generosity season. And in this verse, I want to I point out two quick things for you. First of all, this is what the author says. We are receiving a kingdom. And, and this is a perpetual thing. This is not you have received. It's like 20 years ago you received or two years ago you received or two days ago you received. No, we are continually receiving this. This is not a thing of the past. It is something that Jesus has given and he's continuing to give. And he's still giving today. So we must receive this and keep on receiving this kingdom. And it's a continual thing. It's received now and you're going to wake up tomorrow. And you're going to be able to receive it tomorrow. But what then are we receiving? And that's the second thing. We need to see that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are receiving an unshakable kingdom. This is how secure the promise of God is for you and me. Jesus Christ's promise of the kingdom of God is unshakable. So we must ask, what then is this that we've received in this unshakable kingdom of God? And we told you earlier, I mentioned this earlier. That there are three things that are central to the good news of what we receive through Christ Jesus' life, death, his, su- his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And those three things are good news for the world. And the Apostle Paul would describe it this way in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He would say, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've read that verse in the many years that I've been following Jesus. And I've re- read and I read over those three descriptions that Paul so succinctly describes the kingdom of God as. And in all those times I read it, I never saw it until 2020 when the Holy Spirit stopped me as I was reading this verse and these three words, it's like they leaped out of the page and they landed in my soul. See, this convicted me at the time and it burdened me at the time. All at the same time, it convicted me because, honestly, I wasn't living in God's peace or experiencing God's joy. And 2020 was difficult for you. It was difficult for many people. It was difficult for me. Now, if you would have told me that God's kingdom in that time and his righteousness, peace, and joy, and, and that's what I should be experiencing, I would have been on board with the righteousness part because I would thought, man, there are many opinions that I have and many views that I have that I know are right. So yeah, I'm in that. But the peace, joy, no. I wanted it, I thought I had it, but I didn't. And while I was being convicted, I was also burdened because I saw Christians in our city, I saw Christians in our church, I saw Christians in America focusing their eyes on the wrong thing instead of seeing the kingdom thing. And when Paul's writing this to the church in Rome, he's trying to get their eyes off of the wrong thing. See, there were disputes amongst many of this first century Christian world as to what foods were clean or unclean, 
and, and, and permittable to eat, in other words, or what foods were unclean and, 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 and they were forbidden to eat. And Paul replies that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. All these little disputes. It's not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. See, it's not about all of these rules or these little regulations that you're so caught up in. And, and now, for, for some of us, maybe that's what the kingdom of God has been for you. Maybe the kingdom of God has been rules and regulations. Maybe the kingdom of God has been this. Maybe you've made the kingdom of God about rules or regulations. Or someone else has made the kingdom of God about rules and regulations. And if you think that's what God's kingdom is all about, Paul's got good news for you in what Jesus Christ's work is for you. See, the kingdom of God is not about those rules and regulations. It's not a matter of eating and drinking and what you're permitted to do. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the good news of the unshakable kingdom of God that you can receive God's Christ's righteousness. You can receive Jesus Christ's righteousness. You can receive Jesus Christ's peace. And you can receive Jesus Christ's joy through the Holy Spirit who is given to you through the new life that you have received. Not by following rules and regulations. By putting your faith only in Christ. This is the good news. Everyone needs to know about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And that means this about the kingdom of God. See, nothing nothing can destroy God's kingdom. Nothing can destroy God's righteousness in you. Nothing can destroy or should destroy God's peace in you. And nothing can destroy or should destroy God's joy in you. So why do we miss out on experiencing this unshakable righteousness, peace, and joy? Why are you not experiencing these unshakable gifts that are given to you? Maybe it's because you just truly don't know or truly understand or believe what you've received in Christ Jesus. And if we don't know what we've received, how can we enjoy what we've been given? Think about that. If you don't know what you've received, how can you enjoy what you've been given? And we're going to fix that. We're going to look at what we receive in God's kingdom, and that's going to empower us to do something too. Because when we know what we've received in God's kingdom, we're going to advance God's kingdom. Just like we came out of the series where we, we talked about these rhythms, we take God in and we live God out. We're going to continue to do this in understanding what we receive in God's kingdom and then we're going to see this now as our calling to live out in advance God's kingdom because of what we received. And here's a series big idea that we're going to be exploring. That we receive and we advance the unshakable kingdom of God's righteousness, peace, and joy. We need, you need to receive God's righteousness, peace, and joy. And the only way to receive it is through the Holy Spirit of God. It's not through any other work or a practice. It's only through Christ's work that's given to you through the Holy Spirit. And then that's the moment we're, go we're going to be empowered to advance the kingdom of God's righteousness, peace, and joy. This is how God plans to advance his kingdom through the church that he has empowered. A church that Jesus said himself of you and I and the church that he would start that gates of hell cannot stand against it. 
Death itself won't stop a church that is advancing the kingdom of God's righteousness, peace, and joy. So this is our responsibility. This is your responsibility to receive God's unshakable kingdom for everyone. And for everyone who has received this unshakable kingdom, it is our calling to advance God's unshakable kingdom of his righteousness, peace, and joy. So today, we're going to look at what it means to receive God's righteousness and advance God's kingdom of righteousness. And here's my definition of what righteousness means. As I, I would, if you were to ask me what it is based on my understanding of how righteousness is used in all scripture, righteousness is this. It is being right in God's eyes. That's what righteousness is. It's being right in God's eyes. Now, this is not being right in your eyes. This is not be, me being right in my eyes or you being right in your spouse's right eyes. And I'm so glad that your spouse always thinks you're right. Grateful for that. Or your kids always think you're right. This is not being right in a political party's eyes. This is not being right in a cultural group's eyes. This is being right only in God's eyes. Righteousness is only being right in God's eyes. But here's the problem with this. We all, you and me, we all see ourselves as right in God's eyes. I mean, isn't that how we see ourselves? We see ourselves as right in God's eyes, don't we? I mean, you can justify that you are right. I mean, after all, you know it. I mean, that you know what justifying means. Justifying means declaring that you are right. I mean, I, I, I can justify. If you just only knew my story, if you only knew the circumstances I was under, the pressure I had, all these things that happened to me, you would understand that this is the only thing I should have been able, I could have been able to do in that moment. I'm right. See, we all jump quickly to justify ourselves. Because we all think we're right in our own eyes. But ironically, we can easily and so quickly jump to judging someone else's actions as not righteous or unrighteous. You know, if they could only see my actions, then they would see I'm right. But we never look at theirs, circumstances, to do this. But our own righteousness... In God's eyes is not what is what we see in our eyes. And we need to understand this about ourselves. See, being right in our, our righteousness is not being right in our eyes. It's being right only in God's eyes. Scripture tells us clearly this. Uh, it, it, and it shows us something different. I, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, tells the nation of Israel how God sees all of humanity. He writes this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags you know what you do with filthy rags you don't touch it (laughs) you don't pick up a filthy rag you get rid of it you destroy it see no one touches those things and here's the reality all of my right living all of your right living all your rightness all your right views all of your right opinions all of those things that you think you are right in your own eyes or other people might think you are right in your own eyes or or however that may look like for you. All of your rightness in God's eyes is filthy to him. See, what you think is right in your eyes is disgusting to God. See, on my best day, even your best day, 
My efforts to be right with God are disgusting to him. I can strive to follow all the rules and regulations to be right with God, and I will never be righteous because outside of Christ, I cannot be righteous because I have a sin-cursed heart. And that's what we are because we're human. We are sin-cursed, and our hearts are impure. And even though we think we're right in our own eyes, and someone else thinks they are right in their eyes, or they think we are right in their eyes, we are not right in God's eyes. And look what Paul tells the church in Rome. He actually quotes Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 and and he's telling the Romans about the gospel. He's opening up these pages and he's writing these, these, these words down to tell them about the power of the good news of God. It's the power to save. But first he has to inform them of the bad news. And he says, there is no one righteous. Not even one. You know, that's the bad news. You, with all humanity, and in that day and age, he's like, you Israel, or you, uh, you Jews living in Rome, you and all of those other people, you're not even righteous. All those people you're pointing the finger at and judging quickly, by the way, all you're, in your best day, you're, not even, you're, you're with them all. You're all unrighteous. We're all unrighteous. That's the bad news. In your rightness, you're not right with God. And then he goes on in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, the Old Testament law that God gave through Moses informs us that we are sinners. It helps us see where we fall short. It shows us where we don't measure up to God's standards. And then he writes about the good news in verse 21. But apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, did you catch the pattern here? That no one is righteous and that means no one is right in God's eyes. There's one who is, Jesus Christ. See, no one in humanity has been righteous except Jesus because Jesus was fully God and fully human. The good news is that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Not to all who believe in their own rightness or or their own right way of living. Not to all who believe in a different religious opinion of what their right way of living is. To all who, only to all who believe in Jesus, those will be given righteousness. See, to receive Jesus Christ is to receive Jesus Christ's righteousness. Following rules and regulations doesn't make one righteous. Believing in Jesus Christ is how we receive his righteousness. Jesus lived the perfect life. Not one of us, no one on earth could ever live. And he suffered the consequences of sin, your sin and mine. And he would pay the penalty of our sin against God. And he would pay that through his death. And he would return to life to freely give life to anyone and to everyone who trusts in him. See, through his work and the work of Jesus, God did something for you and me. God gives you his righteousness. It's good news. 
And here's how Paul would, uh, the Apostle Paul would describe it to the church. In 2 Corinthians, he would say this in 5 verse 21. He said, God made Jesus, that's the hymn, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become, look at this, the righteousness of God. In Christ, you become the righteousness of God. And nothing, nothing can take that away from you. Because when your faith is in Christ, you are unshakable and your righteousness is unshakable. And when you're in Christ, through faith in Christ, you receive this kingdom of righteousness. See, in Christ, you are right in God's eyes. This is a powerful understanding to know. In Christ, you are right in God's eyes. It, God doesn't see you in the filthy, right, uh, filthy, disgusting unrighteousness because when you are in Christ, you have been transformed. You are a new humanity and you are now enveloped in Christ's righteousness. That's the good news of being in Christ Jesus. So how then do we stay in this? How do we stand in this and and receive Christ's righteousness? Because it's a a kingdom we are what? Receiving. It's not just something we've received one time. We are continuing to receive this. Well, here's what my encouragement is to you. We put on Jesus Christ's righteousness and stand before God in his righteousness, not our unrighteousness. We stand. We put on Christ Jesus' righteousness and stand before God in Christ Jesus' righteousness. And we realize and we know that we don't stand in our righteousness. And that is amazing news for you. That's great news for me. We need to understand what we have received in Christ Jesus so we can continually, every day that you wake up, you can put on the, and live in the truth of who you are in Christ because of what his righteousness is and means for you, that you now are right with God. And here's what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul would remind the Ephesians about this truth, a truth that he taught them when he taught them the gospel. He would say this in Ephesians 4, verse 22. He would say, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, I want you to circle those two words, put off, it's important. He said, so in regards to your former way of life, you were taught to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and, look at this, to Put on, I want you to circle those two words, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know what our version of rightness is? It's not true. Only Jesus Christ has the true righteousness. And we need to put off and we need to put on. We need to put off and put on. We need to put off our old self, which is corrupted by our deceitful desires, our selfish way of living. And we need to put on our new self, our new attitude that comes from being like Christ, being made new like Jesus Christ in true righteousness and holiness. Put off and put on. You know, in that era, those two words would have been connected to putting off and putting on a new wardrobe. Putting off an old wardrobe and putting on a new wardrobe. Have you ever, men, have you ever put on a suit jacket? 
Or put on that nice suit and you just kind of stand taller. Put that tie on. Yesterday I officiated a wedding. Got in my suit and I boldly walked out of that closet. <laughs> Baby, where you at? You know, we carry ourselves. Women, when you put on that elegant, beautiful dress, it kind of changes your attitude, doesn't it? It's a simple thing, but it does. You talk differently. You present yourself differently. You walk differently. See, in this, it changes us. Now, put this in in Paul's metaphor, because they would have thought this because of the language that they would use. To receive Christ's righteousness, I have to take off, I got to take off my old digs, and I got to put on my new digs. And for those of you that don't know what digs are, that is an old school term, slang for clothes. And I was also informed that the new slang is drip. So I feel really cool in saying, to be in Christ, you need to take off your old drip. And you need to put on your new drip. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. But this is the reality. How many of us are doing that? Because when you put on Christ's righteousness, you know what happens? You're now empowered to live differently. That's what happens. When you put on his righteousness, when you button that cloak of righteousness up around you, you think differently. Your attitude is new. That's what Paul says. You, but in order to do that, you've got to take off those sinful, deceptive ideas and ways of life that are being corrupted. You can put on this new righteousness that you receive through this new garment of his perfection. <laughs> think about that. I'm putting on the garment of his perfection. And that means now I take off my old ways of living in my old, or the culture's ways of living and I put, on all the, I, I put on his righteousness after I take off these deceitful ways. I put on new go, this garment, this new way of thinking about myself, this new way that leads me to live in a new way. See, I live and behave differently now because I stand in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And to stand in Christ's righteousness means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your disgusting unrighteousness. He sees you in Christ's righteousness. You need to wrap your mind around that. God doesn't see you that when you go before God, your heavenly Father, Jesus, the Son of God, is standing there representing you to Him because you are in Christ Jesus, because you have put on His righteousness. God no longer sees you based on what you've done in your past. God no longer sees you based on what you couldn't do in your past. God no longer sees you based on what other people have done to you in your past. God no longer sees you because when you are Christ Jesus and you stand in Him, He sees you only through Jesus. He sees Jesus all over you because in Christ, you are Christ righteous. 
This is what it means to stand in Christ. And this is good news for you and the world. And it's a good news I want you to grab a hold of today. Here's the teaching big idea. It's a teaching big idea that I hope that you pray every day. I hope it's what you live out. I stand in Christ's righteousness, which gives me the strength and courage to live rightly and do what is just. We receive this righteousness by faith and now we are clothed in Christ's righteousness that empowers us and encourages us to abandon our old ways of living and live differently now because we are now in Christ. And this means that we live rightly in this world by doing what is right. And we do what is just. And this is how we advance the kingdom This is how we participate in advancing God's unshakable kingdom. We live out righteousness by living rightly. And we do what is just. And all throughout scripture, God's righteousness has a companion of God's justice. God's justice and his righteousness are companions to each other. God proved his righteousness by serving justice and judgment and on all sin through Jesus' life, suffering, and death. And only God is just, and only God is righteous. See, God served justice on all sin for all of time through Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death. The purpose of Jesus was to take upon himself the punishment for all sin. That's why justice is served on all sin in him. And the purpose of Jesus was to serve that punishment. And listen to me, church. It's not the church's purpose to punish sin. Feel the weight of that? Because many people think that's what we do. Maybe it's because of what we've done. The purpose of the church is to appeal to sinners, to be evangelists, who proclaim the good news that sinners can stand in Christ's righteousness just like we do. And it's the church who proclaims this good news to each other that, 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 that we, we, we can live in Christ's righteousness. Now, does this mean we tolerate sin? No. We appeal to the church body, we appeal to each other. We appeal that, that, that to people to abandon their old life because of who you are in Christ. Why would you embrace that old life again? Take those old garments off. Embrace your new life in Christ because don't, don't be corrupted by those deceitful desires that we appeal to one another because of Christ's work for us. So we can live out of the righteousness of Christ Jesus and live out this, we live in this power to take off our old sinful ways and to embrace the right living of following Jesus. See, only standing in Jesus Christ's righteousness because he served justice on all my sin is the only way I am empowered and, and I have the courage to live rightly. And to live rightly is to do what is right in God's eyes. See, that's the only way I have the power. Standing in Christ's righteousness is the 
is what empowers me and gives me the courage to then do what is right. Not in my eyes, not in my culture's eyes, not in somebody else's view, but to do what is right in God's eyes. Because I know who I am in his righteousness. And we are now to live out this new humanity, this new creation, and the new life that God has given us. See, Paul would tell the Romans the good news that they are justified by God as righteous now because not of their work. It's not because of the circumstances you're in. You're justified because of Christ's work for you. And Paul tells them what this means, that they're no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer your master anymore because Jesus ransomed you. He emancipated you. He paid for your freedom as a slave to sin. And this is what Paul says next in Romans 6, 18. He says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Because you've been justified, you've now been set free to live rightly, to do what is right in God's eyes. See, God's justice on sin sets you free from sin and empowers you to live right in God's eyes. See, God, righteousness is always tied to justice. To live rightly, we must then do what is just. But many of us have a wrong view of what justice is. And there are many Christians who pursue justice in the wrong way. See, many think that Christian ju- justice and biblical justice as punishing the wrongdoer. That's not just justice. That's punishment. To do what is just is this. To do what is right for people who have been wronged. That's justice that we are responsible for. See, for the church to live rightly, we must pursue justice the way Scripture leads us to pursue justice. Justice is not chasing down and punishing the wrongdoer, but coming to the aid of the one who has suffered the wrongdoing. That is justice. But too often we pursue, pursue vengeance. We don't pursue justice. And God is clear in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, He is clear that vengeance belongs only to him. We are to pursue carrying out justice for those who have been wronged. We pursue justice when we can't come to the aid of the, the, those who have been oppressed and wronged. And when we do this, our righteous acts of justice by coming to their aid will point out the injustice and sin of the wrongdoer. But too often, We're pointing our finger at the wrongdoer and we're not even willing to lift up a finger to help the one who was wronged. And we then become wrong. That's where we go wrong. We're not doing what is right for the people who have suffered injustice. See, the version of Christianity that turned the world upside down was because the church knew who they were in Christ's righteousness. They stood in Christ's righteousness. And they were strengthened and had the courage to do what is right and do what is just. They came to the aid of widows who were oppressed. They came to the aid of orphans who were cast off. They would come to the aid of the foreigner who was oppressed. And the world was turned upside down 
Listen to how James says it. Religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See the righteousness and justice coming together here. Righteousness and justice working together. In righteousness, we keep ourselves pure and from being polluted by the deceitful ways of our world, the world around us. And we then act out justly by coming to the aid of the orphans and widows in their distress. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit there on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If I could say it differently, Have you not become judges with selfish thoughts? Because it's our selfishness that opens the door for evil. If you really keep the, loyal, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Because you know what favoritism is? Injustice. It's not living in Christ's righteousness. To love our neighbor as Jesus has loved us and rescued us and come to our aid. That is what's right in God's eyes. And what would it look like if the world saw a church standing in the righteousness of God, an unshakable righteousness, knowing who we are in Christ and nobody's opinion would change that about who we are. And we would go and we would live out and do what is right. Not in my eyes or your eyes or culture's eyes, but we would do what's right in God's eyes. And then we would do what is just. I believe God, through the church, could radically advance his kingdom. See, the kingdom of God advances when we live rightly and carry out God's justice because we stand clothed in Christ's righteousness. I want to end today by praying with one another. And then we're going to sing and celebrate who we are in Christ together. So will you stand? And uh, we're going to ask you to boldly have courage to do this, to pray this prayer over one another. For those online, we want you to do this. If you're in the room and you don't want to participate in this, just tell the person not today and we'll respect that. But this is what I want you to pray. And this is a prayer I encourage you to pray every day for you. But will you pray this over someone else? Father, help my friend stand in Christ's righteousness and may that give him or her the strength and courage to live rightly and do what is just. Will you pray that over one another right now? And then let's sing together. Will you go ahead, turn to one another, groups of two or three, or maybe four, and pray this over one another?